I'm Stephen Herzig, and welcome to Mirror Dimly Face to Face. This is a podcast I will be doing more of, I hope, in the months and even years to come. I just felt that I wanted to communicate more clearly and more openly and more freely about things that God is speaking to me about in my life, things that he is showing me. So we're going to be exploring some of those things in the the ensuing uh, podcasts. If you enjoy it, please do subscribe or press follow where you normally receive your podcasts, and please do recommend it to others. They won't be more than 20 minutes in length, and I plan to release to a month in this first one, I'm going to be really talking about why mirror dimly face-to-face and what it is that I'm wanting to communicate in the first series that I'll be doing, which will have eight or nine messages in it. So the first one, we start with yeah, the title. Where does this come from? Well, I'm sure that many of you will have recognized the words. They come from 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul, towards the end of that great chapter, is talking about the fact that we don't see clearly in life, and we don't see ourselves or even, indeed, him clearly. And he says, now we see in a mirror dimly, chapter 13, the last few verses, 11 and 12, but then we will see face to face. Now we know in part, but then we will know fully, even as we are fully known. This passage is one of three that mentions mirrors. And mirrors in the New Testament times, biblical times, were not anything, gave nothing like the clarity of picture uh, or image that we, that mirrors do today. They were made out of either polished metal or stone, and they left one with not the clearest of impressions of, of the face, often just a silhouette or outline, and that vagueness made it much more difficult for the brains, the brain cells to lock onto the picture and the image. So James in chapter 1 of his epistle says that if we say we have faith but don't support that with works of love, then we are like those who look at our natural faces in the mirror, but then when we walk away we forget what we look like. So that's an understanding then that we we are seeing, but we're not seeing as clearly as we would like. We're not seeing with the specific detail, and we really don't know exactly what that image is actually saying to us very often. So I, I was mulling on this because there are a couple of very almost strange or perplexing incidents in the, towards the end of the New Testament in Luke and John, where good, good friends of Jesus... Uh, fail to recognize him in his resurrected state. And uh, in the end of Luke's gospel, chapter 24, we have two friends who are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. One of them was called Clopas or Cleopas. And the other one, we don't know who he or she was, but there is some evidence that it was his wife because it seems that she was at the foot of the cross, uh, as recorded in a different gospel, along with other women at Jesus's crucifixion. So they were they were walking uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and Jesus joins them, but they fail to recognize him. And this is not was not the only incident. Mary Magdalene, who obviously was a 
very close friend of Jesus and, uh, you know, his life, whose life had been radically transformed by his love and presence. She thought he was the gardener. And Peter, his most prominent in many ways apostle, when he was out fishing, they hadn't caught any fish. And Jesus is on the beach and repeats the miracle that led to Peter following Jesus in the first place, as recorded in Luke 5. So here is is Peter, and they've caught this huge, massive amounts of fish, but he still hasn't understood that it's actually Jesus who's on the beach who's told them where to fish. And it was John who calls himself the beloved, the disciple that Jesus loved, or the beloved disciple. He's the one who recognized him and told Peter that it was the Lord. I've asked myself the question on a number of occasions, why it is that these people who were so close to Jesus failed to recognize him. You know, I've come to see in my own life that there have been things that I thought that he was or was telling me to do that I was rather looking like in the wrong mirror or in a, a, in a polished stone or <laughs> piece of metal rather than in the mirrors that we have today. So my, my vision was blurred. My clarity wasn't as strong as it might have been. And God is taking us all on this journey so that we can begin to see him clearer. And that isn't a date in the diary. It's a relational encounter over, over months and years in this present world while we, where we don't see as clearly as we might. So each of these three individuals, Clopas and his partner, Peter and Mary, we are told very clearly that all of them had things that might have been concealing their vision. With Clopas in Luke 24, he says he recounts to Jesus all the events of Jerusalem because Jesus pretended not to know what had been going on. And then he says, but we were hoping that he would redeem Israel. And this hope had been a part of the hope of the Jewish nation and people for some many hundreds of years, well, a couple of hundreds of years. Uh, they had been oppressed by different empires and at that particular point in time or under the occupation of Rome, they weren't given the freedom and the rights and the opportunities that they were seeking and that they felt that God had given to them and wanted them to have. And so there was this hope, this hope of a Messiah, this hope of a redemption, this hope of another King David deliverer or someone of his type who would come and, and drive out the enemies just as David had done to the Philistines and other uh, peoples of the land of Israel, which had hung around and hadn't been uh, subjugated following the entrance of the, the Jewish people into the promised land under Joshua. And so they had waited 400 years for David. So Clopas is now saying, we were hoping for a similar deliverer. And that false hope, that false expectation, that false desire had clouded his eyes so that when Jesus came as a suffering servant and sacrificial lamb, he was not able to see him. He was not able to see the transformation that was required in his vision. With Peter, he was clearly still struggling with the shame and the guilt of denying his Lord three times. Having given up everything to follow him and been a central part of the team of his disciples, Peter had, as you know, in Luke 22, denied that he knew the Lord at all and, and swore quite vehemently that he had never had anything to do with him. And so it was that shame, that, that guilt, that those feelings of 
embarrassment, of shyness that caused him to lose vision. And with Mary Magdalene, she was overwhelmed with grief. She was uh, tearful. She was sorrowful. She was consumed with the pain of loss. And that also hindered her from having the faith to lift up her eyes to really see Jesus for who he was and confused him with the gardener because her natural mind was searching for some answers, but the eyes of the spirit were seeing dimly, not face to face. So this journey that we all are a part of, helping us leave the the world of shadows, if you like, leave the world of confusion or clouded vision into a place where we can see more clearly is where the other scripture talking about mirrors in the New Testament comes. It's from Second Corinthians 3, and Paul writes, verse 18, And all of us, without any veil over our faces, gaze at the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, and so are being changed into the same image from glory to glory, just as you would expect from the Lord the Spirit. So here in this passage we see that we are called to gaze at the glory of the Lord, to see him clearly without a veil. And Paul had been talking about the veil that Moses had placed over his face when he came down the mountain because he shone with the glory of God, which was overwhelming for the people of Israel. So God wants us to have that veil removed. He wants our hearts opened. And that is really a a part of the journey that I want to discuss in the coming podcast. You know, there was a gentleman called Dach Hammarskjord, who was a Swedish economist, but he was he also became the Director General of the United Nations during the missile crisis in Cuba. And John F. Kennedy described him as the greatest diplomat of the 20th century. But he was also a Christian philosopher and thinker, a profoundly spiritual man. And he said, the longest journey is the journey inward. Between you and him lie fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And it's that unearthing those fears, those uncertainties, and those doubts that, that is so much a part of what I'm wanting to communicate. So the first, this is really by way of introduction to get us started, but I want to look at, in the next podcast, at what, those, where, what is the source, the origin of those fears, and go back to the things that Adam lost in Genesis 3, and then I want to begin to unpack the things that Jesus came to do because and how he chose to reveal himself because it is my firm conviction that Jesus came to undo the things that Adam lost, to restore to us the things that we lost our hold of as a result of sin and the consequences of turning away and rebelling from the purpose of God. It's this journey that we're all on. It's this inward journey. It's walking through the fears, uncertainty, and doubts. And there's a wonderful scripture about journeys in Psalm 84, where the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Zion speaking of our home. The NIV says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, who have set their heart on pilgrimage. So it's this journeying, this pilgrimage, that is so much a part of of what we're about. And it's that journey into the life of God, but to home. Psalm 90 verse 1 talks about being our God, being our home, and so many other scriptures through 
through the Bible discuss that as well about returning home. So those are some of the things that we will be discussing in the next little while. I look forward to presenting the next one. Thanks very much indeed. Do remember to press follow or subscribe uh, in your where you get your podcasts because it would be really great to continue to communicate in the days ahead. 